We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Aikman is intercepted by Sam Mills. Steve Smith is going to go all the way. Panthers win in overtime. Newton steps up, goes for the end zone. Olsen, touchdown! Touchdown by Moore. And in the foot race, McCaffrey to the end zone. He pounded on three. One, two, three. He Welcome back to another episode of The Roar, brought to you by Blue Wire. I am your host, Billy Marshall. And as always, joining me is my co-host, Mr. John Ellis. John, what's up, man? Ah, it's a victory week, man. Yeah, how you doing? Good to see you, Billy. Uh, Good to talk to everybody out there again in Panthers land and uh, celebrating a rare dub uh, for the Carolina Panthers. A bit of a stunner against Tampa. Yes, uh, and certainly there's been a lot of news that came up after our show last week, which we'll get to. Uh, But first, let's get into a game recap. Um, For me, this was the best quarterback display i have seen from anyone since 2018 yeah i mean we have our questions about pj walker and he certainly played at a an extremely high level um they were i mean he was just placing the ball accurately he was throwing it with anticipation he went through his drops and reads correctly he didn't put the ball in harm's way um and that's sort of what i wanted to see from him and there were other areas, in my opinion, that could have been. I think this game could have been even worse on the score sheet yeah. for the opponent because I just, I still feel like they're way too conservative. Um, and I'll get to that in a second. But uh, to me, when they asked PJ to throw, he delivered. And that has to be the biggest, um, you know, the biggest storyline coming out of this game. Oh, without question. Uh, I, I was a little surprised he didn't win uh, NFC quarterback of the week if that went to Daniel Jones, but I thought he played as well, if if not better, as you said, versus any quarterback we have seen since 2018. And obviously we're talking about the first half of that season with Cam Newton before the T.J. Watt hit. And look, I, I thought it was just a, a well-played game on all fronts there. Now we can get into some of the you know the conservative stuff, and I agree with you on that. 
But Walker in this game did what he had to do. He was 16 of 22. That's over 70%. That's what you want. 126.5 quarterback rating. Take that for what it's worth. He got the ball out quick. Uh, He didn't bail from the pocket. Uh, Didn't have any rushing attempts, by the way. I mean, he's played within structure. Two touchdowns. And and both of those throws, look, we can microanalyze each of those throws, but they got the job done. The throw to Moore to the back line, that was a hell of a catch by DJ. And I actually think it was a pretty good throw. And then obviously I agree. getting Trimble involved on National Tight Ends Day, finally we get some tight end touchdown involvement again on the seven route there to the corner. Well done by PJ. And, and look, I will eat the crow right here, you know, on this very show last week. And I think, you know, for a lot of reasons that were – to be expected we were questioning his ability to put this type of game together even when he was 2-0 as a starter we didn't see this type of acumen from him and uh, I realize there's some injuries in Tampa secondary I realize they're not what they were but that's still a high quality win and I I would argue and I've made this argument all week uh, since the win happened on Sunday it was the most meaningful win in a lot of ways since Ron Rivera left. It was a win against a team that, although they are struggling, they are the defending division champs. They still have Tom Brady as their quarterback. They've got a lot of playmakers on that team, some of whom didn't make plays, obviously, with Mike Evans being the one at the forefront there at the beginning of the game. Nice break there, but good teams start to take advantage of those breaks, and Carolina played like a good team on Sunday. That's what I've got for you. I mean, like, are they a great team right now? No, but they played like a damn good team against another good team. And that's what you want to see from this team, growth and development from their young guys. And uh, P.J. Walker gets another start this week. It's a really cool story. Yeah, definitely. I, I mean, at this point, you just have to ride with P.J. I don't care what you're paying the other two quarterbacks. Yep. Uh, I just feel like he gives you the best chance uh, to get to spread the ball around to your playmakers and to also just be able to execute the offense. And speaking of the offense, in my opinion, uh, this was a good game by Ben McAdoo. And a lot of our criticisms with McAdoo, it seems like he is not helping the situation or he hasn't helped the situation prior to this week. But I think he's also being restricted by the coaching staff um, in some ways too. And I think you saw that in this game as well. And I think the rushing attack, I'll get to that in a minute here, um, but it's clear like they're placing an emphasis on conservatism. And again, I'm fine running the ball. I want to be clear. And they certainly were effective running it this week, but you saw in the previous week against LA, they just didn't want to let PJ throw. And I just, I don't understand why yep. he's been with this offense the entire off season. He knows McAdoo for, uh, for whatever it's worth. He's been working, you know, with the playbook on him. And so to me, it just it just makes sense to open up the offense. And you saw when Ben can open up the playbook a little more, you can see guys being schemed open. I thought the touchdown uh, to Tremble was a great execution of just play design and execution all around. Uh, I thought it was even some of the run concepts. I thought they were very, um, you know, smart in how they were able to create gaps in a run game which they haven't done in previous weeks and i understand like you have to run at some point to create an open up play action i don't necessarily agree with all that but i I still think play action is effective without of um without a good running game but to me i i think that moving forward i would hope that this offense continues to open up the passing game and let's be clear ben mcadoo is not afraid to throw it it's the coaches 
from above who are asking to run it. So if they can strike a fine balance, which they did this week, but I still want to make sure that it's consistent because I watching the game again, that first half up until the two minute drive where they scored that first touchdown, it was pretty stale. And that's kind of what I'm talking about. Just the amount of runs that they were doing when you actually give a quarterback confidence it just makes such a big deal. And I think confidence comes from coaches trusting him. And I think McAdoo does. It's whether the higher ups above McAdoo do. Yeah, I think that there is going to be a bit of a ramp up period for that with, with Coach Wilkes. Obviously, a big win for him, and I'm happy for him, but nobody's beyond critique here. And I think you continue to see a little bit of conservative approach there in terms of, okay, let's not unleash the quarterback too much too soon. We don't know uh, how many turnovers he'll give you there. We don't know how effective he can be if we asked him to throw the ball 35 times instead of 22. But I get your point. I'm totally with you on that. I think there's going to be opportunities as we move forward. I'm hopeful that there are opportunities. And I get back to it for this simple reason, that the pass protection has been great. I mean, and I thought that there was a bit of a mirage there in terms of what we saw against Los Angeles, especially with Aquanu, and I give him all the credit in the world, but I think there was a little bit of overinflation about his PFF grade and about how great he looked. Well, folks that were throwing the ball horizontally the whole game, it was all behind the line of scrimmage. You had some opportunities now with this offensive line galvanized and with, I, I thought, Bozeman was outstanding. I mean, he came right in and just did a hell of a job on the nose tackle, on the interior in terms of run blocking, held up in the passing game. Christensen played pretty well. Aquanu held up nicely, I thought, in this game overall. You know, same for Taylor Moten. But I think as they continue to learn each other a little bit with this new structure now, um, they'll, they'll hopefully give P.J. or whomever the quarterback is, and I hope it continues to be Walker, and I hope he continues to do well because, like you said, I haven't seen a quarterback play that efficiently in a long time here. I think you got to roll with that hot hand. Now, uh, this is what I'll say, too. Like, what the hell took Terrace Marshall so long to get in the mix? Because I just go back to how long Matt Rule took himself to, to put, you know, this young physical wide receiver in a position to develop, and you see him get some valuable, valuable reps in this game. Now, obviously, he doesn't dominate the game, but he gets a few targets, three of them, two big catches, 15 yards a pop, Love seeing it. And I thought you were spot on about the run game. Look, you just don't want to run it for the sake of running it. I think, you know, in the first half of that game, they're trying to feel out a little bit what they're facing here with Tampa, what type of team they're looking at. And I'll say this, Tampa's in a world of hurt. I mean, they might make the playoffs. They might, hell, they might get a playoff win this year. But that's about as discombobulated and downtrodden of a Tom Brady-led team I've seen in all the years I've watched them play. And I don't know if he's lost three straight games in a row in his career, but he's got a damn good chance of doing it this weekend against the Ravens. So, I mean, take that to account. But, no, credit PJ, and I, I hope at some point they continue to, you know, work the passing game a little more into the mix there, especially in the first half. Because, like you said, in the early part of that game, it, it felt like more of the same. Like, oh, okay, we're just going to kind of, like I said last week, try to just make it to the fourth quarter and make sure the clock runs out. And, oh, boy, we're on top on the scoreboard there. Uh, good job in the second half, though. I mean, they they were aggressive when they had to be there. Uh, they kept the passing game alive there, even with a lead. And they asked the quarterback to do some things that no quarterback really has done here in critical moments in a long time. 
Um, and that's how bad it's been here for a long time. But it was good to see P.J. get it done. And credit to D.J. Moore. Like I said, you know, he's been under a bit of a microscope lately in terms of trade rumors, all the talk out there. He obviously loses. You know, his good buddy Robbie Anderson gets dealt. A lot of spotlight, a lot of uh, analysis on him this week leading up to that game. And you see moments like that where, you know, we, we know DJ is not Justin Jefferson elite in terms of route running, but he's physical. He can bowl you over in the open field, and he can make some amazing plays with his hands contested. And I just thought that touchdown pass with getting his feet down. And he had, an, I think he had another one, too, on the boundary that was almost a catch. Uh, really a great performance by DJ Moore. Yeah, definitely. Um, it, it was interesting because they had quite a bit of short drives, like – they started the game with two, three and outs in a row. I mean, the first play was, I thought it was a catch by Marshall, but they overturned it. Um, and then the next drive, again, another three and out, and they ran the ball, actually. Um, or On that first drive, they ran it on third and seven. And I was just like, oh, God, here we go again. Here's this conservative offense. And finally, you know, they have that drive in that second quarter where, you know, they, they go pretty far, and, um, you know, it, it obviously ends – uh, you know, Vita Vea sacks PJ Walker. And then for some reason, they it's at the 36 yard line. It's fourth and 11. Yeah. If you're not going to kick a field goal, go for it. I, I don't really understand yeah. that yeah. because, and that's just sort of the, the coaching point thing that I'm, I'm, I'm just like, I'm not trying to be too critical of the coaching stuff because clearly they had the players uh, prepared and they had a sense of like urgency. So I don't want to necessarily harp on them too much, but that's just the sort of thing where you saw it against the Rams too. It's just an overly conservative nature. I'm not a fan of that. And I don't know. I think Pinheiro could make a 53 yard field goal. Um, you know, if you don't have trust in him to make that field goal, then maybe go for it. It's fourth and 11. If it was like yeah. fourth and 14 or something crazy, then yeah, maybe you should kick it. But then, it, you know, Hecker, Touch, kicks a touchback so it really doesn't even make a difference so you're only it's only 16 yards that you gain which is pretty uh terrible bad, yeah but but i what well, the thing i want to mention about the run game is i mentioned this last week too it's the pass game opens up the run game and i think you saw that in the second half after that touchdown drive tampa was starting to drop a couple of their linebackers they they were being a little hesitant uh levante david and uh, devin white they did not have strong games especially white and so you saw how you know those gaps that you know the rams insist they were playing a game plan raheem morris was like you know what we're not they're not going to throw the ball but when you have the threat of a pass it creates those gaps in the running game and you saw that on that three play drive where it was Deontay Foreman for 60 yards and Chuba Hubbard for 17 yards. Yep. And that's also the threat of like PJ Walker. You shouldn't confuse him with like Lamar Jackson, but he does possess an element of mobility that you have to account for in the run game too. Whereas you don't see that. And it's just, I know Baker and, you know, Darnold are also sort of mobile, but Walker is uh, much more effective in my opinion, as a runner than those two guys. And so for me, that's just the biggest thing moving forward is that the pass game does also help the run game it's not just a run game helping the passing game oh sure no i mean dude, dude it works both ways you have to you have to you can't just be one dimensional on that front i mean you, you that's 1978 football you can't you can't say all right you know we're gonna set up play action by running it 21 times and boom shot will be open no you've got to be able to to manufacture running lanes via the pass and via passing concepts and i thought you know look that that's that's a key here 
And it was interesting to see, you know, once again, that they did it all with their backs. Uh, you know, and there's going to be a lot of narrative here about the McCaffrey trade and how, oh, Carolina won that trade. I'll just go back to my original statement. Nobody really knows yet who won what. I will say this, uh, uh, and, you know, that's some news I'm sure we'll digest later in the show. I, I was happy to see Foreman get the touches he got. Uh, you know, I thought Chuba did a fine job. He's got an ankle injury now, so I don't know what his status is. He missed practice today as we come to you on a Wednesday. But, you know, all the things that I've been thinking about in terms of how Foreman would look in this offense, you know, I thought he did what he had to do, had a nice cutback on that one run. And again, the offensive line, you know, a lot of it is scheme, Billy. You're right. A lot of it is setting it up through the pass. But uh, you love seeing Aquano get to the second level and, and playing some pinball with those linebackers. I mean, it's good stuff. And I thought, you know, even with like Vea and nose tackle, they did a pretty good job on him. I mean, Tampa's not an easy team typically to to move in the run game. So however they went about doing it, it was effective, and I thought it was really important late in that game. Uh, they got a couple of those big runs there. Uh, that was really important to their win. And, uh, you know, credit credit to McAdoo to a certain extent. I mean, look, I've been really hard on him. I thought at least to this season that was the best he's done in terms of putting out, you know, his schematics and play calling and trying to mix things up a little bit. And he's doing it with a quarterback who doesn't have a lot of experience, and that experience has not been great to this point. So I thought, you know, you hate to use the word manage the game, but they did what they had to do. And I, I'm sure we'll talk about defense in a minute here, but there's a lot of good stuff to talk about on that side of the ball too. Yeah, for sure. And let's be clear. This was not a fluke. This was a complete de- demolition in my opinion. 6.9 yards per play for Carolina, 4.9 for Tampa. So, you know, winning the yards per play by two yes. yards, full yards, it's that that is an indication of a – um, of a complete blowout. Now, let me just um, say something real quick, but we'll get into the ramifications of the trade and why they did it and whether we feel like, um, you know, the right compensation was provided. Um, but before we get to that, I, I, I want to finish up offensively with the run game. And, and John, this is something that since you and I have started this show, we have made a very concerted effort to praise, you know, individual running backs and I've always said that running the ball matters. I've never shied away from that at all. Yeah. But this is exam. This game is an example of why scheme and offensive line matter more than an individual running back. I'm not suggesting McCaffrey couldn't have had you know a big game on the ground if he was in the backfield for Carolina. I think he would have. But what you saw on Sunday was why I am always very hesitant to spend big resources at that position yep. and yesterday or excuse me sunday is just a prime example of you give you know like a league average running back which i think both hubbard and foreman are you give them the right blocking and play within the scheme correctly those guys are going to be productive too. And I think that's just something to keep in mind moving forward. You know, I'm fine if you want to, you know, trade a running or excuse me, draft a running back in the second or third round, you know, that's, that's whatever. I think we can have those discussions when it is relevant next May or April, whatever. But I just really believe that you should not necessarily like invest a crazy amount at the position because if you have a competent offensive line coupled with a good scheme, most league average running backs will produce. And you saw that on Sunday. 100%. And you know, you know, I've had 
plenty of discussions about this off air and we've had plenty of talks about this together on the podcast and you and I don't always agree on everything, but it's always in, in, in good fun when we don't, but we agree a hundred percent on this. I, I've been thinking about this McCaffrey thing for a long time. And you know, this was like a guy that, you know, on a personal note, you know, I just say this as a fan of the team, if my kids are huge McCaffrey fans, it, it, it sucks. I mean, it's one of those things where it's my, my daughter's birthday was last week and one of our relatives got her a McCaffrey jersey. And I was like, I was telling you last week, some, some sourcing I had, I was like, oh boy, I want to save the receipt on that. And, and so lo and behold, it happened and he got dealt to San Francisco of all places, which I, I did not see coming, but I did think he would get dealt. But yeah, I, I agree, man. It's it really has for a long time around here been McCaffrey manufacturing yards despite bad blocking. I mean, you look at the tape, and, and we talked about this earlier in the season. So much of what he was getting, he was getting on his own. And that's fine. But then you consider the, the cap considerations and how you're trying to build your roster. Um I, I just think you're you're exactly right that you you bring in Foreman who Let's face it, last year with with a combination of schematics there, but mostly some gap power stuff they run in Tennessee, he was a highly effective, you know, number two back behind Derrick Henry, and he had some really good moments and some big-time runs. He's got great vision, good contact balance. You know, I don't want to comp him to anybody, but, you know, he's got a little bit of Deshaun Foster in him. He's got a little bit of Stephen Davis in him. He's a bigger guy, and it was fun to see. And you just got to start by building – you know, obviously in the trenches. I mean, that's just a golden rule of football. If you suck in the trenches, you're not going to be built to last. But that's, I guess, why I'm a little less pessimistic about this team moving forward than most in terms of should they tank, should they not. It's not even a discussion I really want to have because they have finally put together a starting five up front. And yeah, you can include Bozeman in the mix. Elfline's been fine, but Bozeman had a really good game against Tampa. You put together a core here. They're young. I believe they're all under contract through next year. And they're playing together as one and gave James Campen a lot of credit for that. I mean, they bring in an offensive line coach. They're learning how to do things now together, like picking up stunts, picking up blitz schemes, different type of looks. You know, we talked about it all week. You know, this is a different type of defense with Todd Bowles. And I thought they did a good job of controlling the line of scrimmage against the Todd Bowles team. That's not easy to do. So give them a ton of credit. But you're right. When you dump, as David Tepper did say in his press conference, this is a business of limited resources you got to make sure you're allotting those resources adequately. And this day and age right now, or in any day and age, really, you just can't be that top-heavy on the cap with your running back. I think the world of McCaffrey, but they weren't even scheming him up right here, Billy. They weren't. So, I mean, best of luck to him. Hopefully Kyle and the guys out there do a good job getting him in positions to win. You saw a glimpse of that on Sunday, but honestly, the, the final score isn't indicative of his talents nor is it necessarily an indictment of him that Carolina goes on and wins here on Sunday against Tampa. But to your point, you only got so much you can spend. There is a cap on this stuff, and there is that for a reason, for parity and all that. So spend wisely, and I think uh, ultimately we'll, we'll digest this trade in more detail. But but good for Foreman and even good for Hubbard for getting a, a few good touches there as well. Yeah, for sure. And like you said, I think the – insertion of Bozeman definitely made a difference. I hope that is also something that they, um, that remains in place for the foreseeable future. Yes. I think Elfline is a fine backup uh, rotation guy, but I just really 
felt like Bozeman is someone that can uh, provide a presence on the inside from a physicality standpoint, um, but also from the intangibles as well, because he has experience in, I mean, he played in one of the most diverse run um, offenses in the entire league with Greg Roman in Baltimore. So uh, I just, I really hope that this is not just a short-term thing and that he remains on um, remains their center for the future. And Quickly, on, on that note, Billy, I, I agree with you totally. I just want to make sure we're giving our listeners some context here that Steve Wilkes, and I just saw this pop up a couple hours ago, that uh, Pat Elfline is out for the season now. Um, he's on IR. Okay. He's having a, a season-ending surgery. Um, you know, And this is from our friend Anthony Rattuzzi over at the Panthers Wire. Uh, good Good follow. Um, IR, if this is indeed it for him in 2022, he played in 15 games in two seasons of a three-year, $13.5 million contract. Obviously, that was one of the famous day one signings, hour one signings for Matt Rule and, and Scott Fitter last year in free agency. Uh, Pat's a good center, I give you that, but I think that news pretty much cements the fact that Bozeman not only is the better option, as you said, on tape, he was just really physical in the pass and run game, but he comes from that Greg Roman style where they – they do move and they do push and they do some different things. I saw him pulling a lot at center last year. So he's a versatile piece, and I think it's best long-term to, to try to play him out this year. And if, if he does well, try to lock him up. Yeah, absolutely. And trying to recall, I mean, he played at Alabama too. So, I mean, he played for, um, you know, an offense that is also, or at least he played for um, a head coach in Saban. I'm not sure what year he was there. Uh, but I know, you know, Lane Kiffin, Sark, yeah. uh, Brian Dable, um, they were all offensive coordinators recently. And, and all three of those guys, in my opinion, um, have, you know, a very, uh, you know, they place an emphasis on physicality. But I, I'll have to recheck and see what years he was there. But I do remember liking him coming out of Alabama. And yeah. uh, you know, PFF said that Bozeman had the single best uh, great among all NFL centers this week. And uh, you you can take that for whatever it's worth. PFF is just one tool, but uh, I haven't watched all the games this week's, but uh, on tape, when I did rewatch uh, the coach's film, he definitely looked uh, very good. And oh, that's it was sort noticeable. Of we were hoping for. It was noticeable. Uh, uh, by the way, his offensive coordinator in his last year at Alabama was Brian Dable. So, I mean, yeah, he, he knows how to, Run with power. You, I mean, you, when you play for Dayball, you play for Greg Roman. Obviously, they ask a lot of you. So that he was a 2018 six-round pick, and he's uh, he did a hell of a job in Baltimore. I thought so. He's a good find. Yeah, for sure. So anyway, let, again, long may it continue. I mean, I'm just I'm happy to see guys like Bozeman, Marshall, and even Tremble. Uh, I know he's a second-year player and he's had some inconsistencies, but I'm happy to see these guys thriving and you just have to wonder if the previous head coach had these guys shackled for whatever reason i mean you know whatever his business was with not playing them that's his business but to me these are three quality players who deserve uh to play um all right defensively this was you know as dominant of a performance as you can get and the reason why i feel it was very dominant was carolina did not create one turnover and they only had one sack. So that means that they were like very like just doing an excellent job in the secondary. And this is without JC Horn and Jeremy Chin. Um, you know, Dante Jackson, I believe, got injured during the game. Um so they're doing this with a group of 
members in the secondary who probably aren't the most heralded, but I thought Xavier Woods was excellent. I thought the the front um, was very good, especially without Iodinus playing. Uh, I mean, Derek Brown continues to have an excellent season himself. I think he's really turning into a complete defensive tackle. And uh, I mean, I thought the linebackers had a pretty decent game um, on top of that too. I just think uh, from a preparation standpoint and a game plan, uh, they really were in their bag. Um, you know, it's unfortunate that, or excuse me, well, I should say it's fortunate that Mike Evans did drop that touchdown uh, yes. because that was probably the only real blunder that I recall uh, in the game. And I know Tampa didn't convert on a fourth down when they tried to run that toss to uh, Fournette, which, I mean, it kind of counts as a turnover. But to me, uh, this defensive performance is up there with some of the greats. I totally agree. I mean, look, they were without some key players, too. I mean, you had injuries, guys rotating in and out. Keith Taylor played 34 snaps, Billy. Uh, You know, CJ went down for a while with some injury issues. Obviously, Horn didn't play. No Jeremy Chin. Uh, you know, I know Steve Wilkes had talked about we want to catch the ball better in the secondary, and I love that about Wilkes because he was here for Thieves Avenue, if you remember. And I think, you know, Woods, you know, there's at least one of those that he liked to have, but the game was pretty well in hand by that point. But, I, you know, guys like Hartsfield, you know, I thought he played well in the slot. You know, they bring him in, and he's kind of that big nickel guy. He's got, you know, some size to him. And I thought he did a pretty good job overall. He led the team with, uh, you know, where he's right up there in, in terms of snaps played with 67. He was on the field the whole game. And he had to be with the personnel they were facing there. Shaq, I thought, did a nice job. And I think, you know, Brian Burns early in the game really set the tempo. I mean, he was not just getting after the quarterback. He got the sack, finally gets a sack against Tom Brady, forgets to do the spotty dance. But he gets two tackles for losses behind the line, gets another hit on the quarterback. Five tackles in the game from the edge positions, pretty good production there. And, and you know, Derek Brown, again, just continues to move the line of scrimmage. He is just really growing into what I think they want him to be. Um, and we did some pre-draft analysis and post-draft analysis on Derek Brown, Billy, you and I both. And, you know, people were expecting Aaron Donald or whatever. And uh, this is not who he is. He's not Warren Sapp. He's not going to shoot the gap there. And he's not a classic three-tech. He's a guy you can move the nose. You can move him to five-technique even if he is. He's a pretty versatile guy. You can move him all across the line. I don't want to, you know – sing his praises too much here but you know he did a good job in this game and he continues to get better and better every week and and like I said I think the more impressive thing overall is just the fact like you said they didn't manufacture the takeaways they only got one sack you know Tom's going to get the ball out quick and yeah they did look discombobulated but credit Carolina for putting him in that vice for putting him in that situation as the game wore on Tom started putting together some Pretty good drives, and and ultimately, you know, what I started feeling is okay. Here we go, a nice good story here. This is where Brady's gonna finally end this chaos, and they're gonna put together you know a, a ten play, eighty one yard drive, and the drives kept stalling. They they it took them forever to get into the red zone. Uh, it was really entertaining to watch defensively, Billy. I was really a big fan of it. Yeah, I mean, the, the, this is obviously a team that has quite a bit of talent on that side of the ball. Um, so even without some of their better players like chin and horn, um, I think this was just a complete performance defensively. And, um, you know, this sort of performance that we think this team is capable of, um, again, they were aided by some miscues, I think, uh, on Tampa's part, 
you know, especially with that Evans drop, probably would have been, could have been a different game, but uh, they were very stingy. Uh, they really showed, uh, you know, a sense of team spirit, just rallying to the ball. Uh, I mean, it just seems like their energy was much higher than Tampa's. Tampa much looked higher. like, um, yeah, they just were sleepwalking. And it's always difficult, I think, for any opponent uh, to play consecutive road games. And uh, Carolina definitely came out with a sense of purpose on that just, side of the ball. And Real quick, too, uh, just yeah. that they held Godwin to 3.3 yards per target. I mean, that's that's damn good. Oh, for sure. Yeah, no, he uh, he definitely didn't have a great game. And wow. it, just, it all looked... Uh, very difficult for you know Tom Brady, and I think their offensive line in particular was uh, a big weakness. And Carolina definitely uh, made it a priority to really test those guys, and uh, and they won that battle convincingly. Um, you know, let's finish up with this game. Special teams wise, uh, again, um, the conservative nature of the decision to punt is something that I'm just going to pay close attention to. I just want to make sure like this team is doing smart things to give them advantages moving forward. Um, but besides that, the one thing I do want to mention is uh, the punt return game. I mean, I have no idea what Shai Smith is doing oh, in man. this situation. The ball is bouncing. Yeah. No one has touched it. Why are you, what, what, what goes through? I'm always just fascinated with players and their decision to just do dumb things. It's the same thing you saw in that Alabama, Tennessee game. And Saban was like bitching at one of his players for touching the ball. <laughs> and it, it, that ended up being a turnover. This one was very fortunate to be a turnover. And it's just like, what are you doing, man? Yeah. And I know for a fact that the coaches aren't telling him that because I think Chris Tapor is, you know, an excellent special teams coach. So to me, I'm just, I, I think they need to change that punt return. Oh, I totally agree. I mean, this can't continue. I mean, and uh, I like Burson. Burson, I think, follows me on Twitter, and I'm not taking a shot at him. But we remember, I think he'd be the first to tell you. I mean, that was a struggle for him in 2014 when that playoff game happened. And when you start to see those those sort of MEs, as they call them, mental errors in the return game, that, that can be a real problem. I mean, this is where, you know, having a guy like Roberts or in the past like Ted Ginn, where you know they're just going to field that thing clean, you can rely on them, there's no stress it's a stressful thing right now watching shy and I like him. I think, you know, look, they gave him some early reps this year. He's taking his lumps. They're getting Marshall a little more involved now in the passing game and they want to crowd, you know, carve out a role for shy. And I like him a lot, but you, you, it's a production business. You can't catch fair catches in the end zone. I mean, it's obviously better than fumbling the ball, but you can't back your back your rear into the end zone and wave for a fair catch. And, and you're backpedaling from the five there. I'm just worried at any moment he's going to muff one or he's going to fumble one, and, and we just don't need any more of that. We've already seen Chuba put a couple on the ground in the kick return game. Blackshear has been fine in that department when called upon now, but you know I, I think punt returner, you raise a good point. they got to be careful there because if this team really wants to compete down the stretch, which I think they have at least in the trenches, and given the situation they're in in this division, they're at least in that mindset that, hey, we're, we're playing to win now. I mean, this is an area where you can't afford to be losing in the margin. So you've got great punting from Johnny Hecker. Pinero's been rock solid. The coverage units have been good. You, you cannot start screwing around at punt returners. So, I mean, you go back to like Parcells and the way he used to talk about this. Um, he'd be on the field teaching guys firsthand how to field punts. There needs to be an extra emphasis. I'm sure Tabor uh, will voice his opinion on that very, very robustly because he, he takes a lot of pride in that unit. And I'm sure he wasn't thrilled with that part of it. 
Yeah, it's interesting too because right down the road in Columbia, South Carolina has, in my opinion, the best special teams in all of college oh, football. Beamer ball. So yeah, 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 exactly. He learned from his father, and so like maybe they can learn a few things. At least, yes. Shai Smith, who is a South Carolina graduate, can learn a few things from his alma mater and how to play special teams a little more effectively. Because um, again, he's a solid receiver. He's a good player. I don't. I'm not necessarily calling for him to get cut or anything like that. I, I just feel like you know, th- that's something that you got to improve. And, um, you know, just for reference, DVOA has Carolina special teams at number 12, uh, which I, I would say is a very big step up from where they were in the previous years, which is uh, in the late 20s to yeah. 30s. So, um, yeah, it's a good unit. They just, like you said, John, if they're going to be playing this type of ball control um, offense, relying on defense, no matter who the coach is, I don't, I don't even care if you're playing like an Andy Reid style football or uh, where you're throwing it 50 times a game and putting up 40 points. You just can't necessarily have those type of turnovers. Your defense does a great job getting them off the field. You have to be smart. Just step away. It's okay. Like I am f- totally fine starting, you know, with poor field position as opposed to a turnover. Yep. You know, maybe you should have fielded it. You know, you didn't just back away. Don't put yourself in harm's way. And I understand the rule that if, you know, a dip, if the kicking team touches it first, you can pick it up. And if you fumble, it won't count as a fumble. I get that rule, but yeah, but it was pretty clear that Tampa did not touch it. So yeah, it's dangerous. And yeah, I, you got to look there. I mean, what what would be a viable replacement plan there? And I'm sure they've got a number of guys in mind. I'm not wild about DJ Moore being back there, given his workload right now and some of the fumbles he's done. But I think whatever you got to do to enhance that position, you got to do it because it's been a little shaky for shy back there and maybe he has a you know maybe he develops and has a better week but that was not his best game not at all what um andre roberts do you under, do you know what the status is on him moving forward let me, check, let me check up on that while we're talking here i'll get back to that but uh roberts i know he was on ir i don't know if it's short term or not but um i mean they're missing him and this was a guy that they wanted to bring into the mix obviously to do exactly what we had talked about um, to be a guy that you know they could rely on for stress-free type of stuff. Um, th- this is from, at the time, the way it was reported. Um, he, he's on, I guess, right now still on the short-term IR, but he's expected to miss, quote, considerable time. This is according to the team at the time. So I, I don't know where he stands at the moment. But, uh, you know, I, I think at some point they gotta, yeah, they got to get back at it with, with some – some some veteran back there fielding punts. You, you just don't want to get in that cycle where every time that ball's in the air, oh, God, what's he going to do? And, and Shai's got to learn, man. It's a production business. I don't care if you're a rookie, second-year guy, and he knows that. He's got to be better there. Yeah, and if it's not going to be him, who's the guy they had fielding punts in the offseason uh, or a trading camp? It was C.J. Saunders. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I don't know where he is if he's on their practice squad. I mean, maybe you have to – uh, look into elevating him if he's uh, still on the practice squad. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Like you just have to figure out. Yeah, he's on. Uh, he's on the PS right now. They could pull him up, and and maybe that's something they look at doing. Yeah, I mean, he looked pretty competent just fielding punts, and um, and so maybe that's a direction they, they they'll have to go. And again, I think Shy is much better just in his role as a slot receiver, and maybe as a kick returner too. But. But yeah, that that just uh, cannot happen. And Carolina was very fortunate; it didn't turn into a turnover. Yep. Okay, so l- let's switch gears now with some of the off-field, um, you know, 
developments uh, that we didn't get a chance to speak on. Uh, we did speak on the Robbie Anderson trade, uh, which occurred last week. Uh, so go back to last week's show if you want to hear our thoughts and analysis on that. But uh, the Christian McCaffrey trade came on Thursday evening, uh, and it definitely came as a surprise to me. Uh, I was a little skeptical that they would trade him uh, just because there's been so much chatter about uh, what the demands they have for McCaffrey. Uh, but yeah. I was surprised that they were able to fetch back what they did. I did not think uh, any team would give up uh, the amount of draft capital that San Francisco gave up. And um, I was very clear last week that I thought that uh, no team was going to give up a first round pick. And uh, while they didn't give up a first round pick, I would say that a second round or a third round or a fourth round or a fourth round or next year, uh, that essentially is a first-round pick, all things considered. Uh, but San Francisco didn't have their own first-round pick. So overall, I thought they did very well to get back this compensation. Uh, and again, this is just the sort of thing that I hope they realize that, again, you can draft a running back second, third round. Look at you know how successful uh, the running back is in Houston. He was drafting the fourth round or the um, guy in Seattle was drafting the second round. Those are moves that I agree with just because the draft capital isn't too significant. Yeah. But just moving forward, I really hope that uh, they don't get in the business of paying running backs big money. And I understand McCaffrey, you know, to some people is different. Uh, but to me, he's just he's a very good running back uh, and he definitely helps your offense. Um, but I just I do wonder if it was a missed opportunity back in 2020 where they could have fetched even more um, draft capital to really accelerate the rebuild at the time, uh, but they didn't. Uh, but I think all things considered, John, this was a net positive in my opinion as far as what they were able to gain. Yes, we can do you know hindsight analysis when the Panthers use the picks on these draft picks, but overall I think for them to be able, no matter who they pick, with um, you know, those selections, I think it was a positive for them to uh, get out of that contract and recoup what they did. Yeah, 100%. Um, look, let's digest it for a minute, and I'll give you my perspective here, and I appreciate yours. Uh, McCaffrey it obviously means a lot to a lot of people around here, and that's all fine and well, but you've got to start looking ahead here at, you know, just cleaning up some of the things that were done that probably weren't that smart. And and obviously, doing the McCaffrey extension, th th this is goes back, and there's been some reporting here, and maybe we can dive into this later, you know, from Jeremy Fowler, and I know there's been some stuff in the past by Joe Person about how involved Matt Rule was in terms of roster decisions. And I've, I've talked to you, Billy, about people that I know around that operation that have sort of hinted that, hey, Matt had – been pretty powerful there in terms of roster control especially early on I mean it, it was apparent that getting McCaffrey extended yeah at the time raised a lot of eyebrows because no he's a great player we all know that and he was coming off a monster year in 2019 but when you really dissect where a lot of that production came from and did it correlate to a winning product it it really didn't and it to no fault of his own but you know having a thousand thousand season it, it ain't easy I mean Rod it's it's just a very good thing to do as a running back it, it's Roger Craig good but 
let's be honest, Billy. We looked at 2019. We kind of saw what happened late in that year. That's the year before we started doing this podcast. But you and I were friendly on Twitter, and we were trading ideas about what was going on. And I think we both understood that a lot of what was happening there was the byproduct of just a very broken team. And they were just looking wherever McCaffrey was to have some type of positive production, dumping it off here or there. There wasn't a real design to it. So props to him for putting up big numbers. But does keeping him around without four extra draft picks that they just picked up, which equates in a lot of draft charts out there to a first-round pick, does that give you a better chance of winning moving forward versus getting those picks back and giving McCaffrey a chance to do some more, something else somewhere else and then eventually getting the cap savings from that. I know it's not immediate, but I thought it was a good trade for Carolina. Now, who wins the trade, who loses, I'm not into that, but I think for what Carolina's trying to construct moving forward, I, I'd be very doubtful that they repeat that in terms of, you know, obviously in this day and age, in drafting a running back in the top 10, we're kind of not in that mode anymore. And you see Kenneth Walker, you mentioned him, he was a second-round pick. You've seen other guys thrive. And that's what kind of surprised me about San Francisco's involvement here is they're historically good and and so was Kyle's dad at taking backs that weren't necessarily you know high draft picks and getting a lot of production from that um I see what they're trying to do with McCaffrey out there and that's their business and they'll figure that out but for Carolina no I thought this was about as good as you could have hoped to have done that your starting point in a negotiation at least publicly was going to be Oh, hey, give me two first rounders. Well, you know, give me the moon while you're at it. It was never going to happen. We knew that. We talked about that on this show if it ever came up. But no, to get four draft picks back for him and pretty good ones at that. And then on top of the Robbie trade, they recovered six draft picks um, in a matter of six days and they went on to beat Tom Brady. That's a pretty damn good week at work. So hats off to them. I mean, we'll see what they do with the draft picks. You got to make them right. You got to draft well and then you got to develop well. But uh, no, I, I thought it was the right move at the right time. If McCaffrey, you know, the track record recently, Billy, prior to this season, he played 10 games in two years under Matt Rule. Three back during the pandemic year, seven last year. It happens. It's the position. I mean, things are going to come up. And McCaffrey, I don't want to say injury prone, but those numbers don't lie. So what you don't want to do is roll him out there another week or two, roll him out there against Tampa, roll him out there against Atlanta, and then he just rolls an ankle. Because then your compensation yeah. goes down as a crapper. I thought it was the best timing for it. I'm not going to say it's a stroke of genius, but good on Fitterer and the guys over there for making it happen. I think long-term, it's the best thing for this team. Yeah, for sure. I just hope that this isn't like a short-term thing. It's something that they actually subscribe to. Um, you know, let's just see where their draft picks end up uh, in 2023. Uh, so, you know, and maybe like the two guys who are leading the role right now can become, um, you know, their focal points next year. And you can add like another guy, like, you know, third or fourth round. And I think that's the best way to do it. Um, so long as you have a competent scheme and a good quarterback to go along with it. Uh, yep. Okay. The other news that broke was uh, there were evidently there was a report uh, from multiple people about Brian Burns um, being available in a trade but Carolina opting not to trade him. Let's digest this a little further because I have a couple. Um, I, I have an opinion that probably isn't going to align with uh, the majority thinking here. Let me just get your first thoughts on if you think it was the right move to 
um, you know, reject two first round picks for him. Uh, and I, w- I want to be clear the Schefter is very vague with these reports because he just reports like the top of the line number. Some even like in free agency, when he reports like a number, like when everyone was freaking out about Christian Kirk's contract, which it's still a big contract. He just, he reported the total value, which included all the incentives and uh, all the unguaranteed money as well. In reality, it wasn't that big of a, I mean, it was a sizable contract, but it wasn't as crazy as what he reported. So when he says two first round picks, in reality, it could be two first round picks, but it could also be a situation where Caroline has to give back a second round pick. And that's just not attractive as like two first round. It could be similar to, I think the Khalil Mack trade was like that. So, let me just get your perspective first, firstly, on whether you think it was the right move to reject that and just your overall thoughts on where they go from here with Brian Burns. Well, let me start with this. I don't know exactly what they rejected, to your point. I mean, is this a first for next year? Is it spread out over two years? Uh, who's the team looking to do the trade? Where do they fall in the draft order? I mean, those things do impact my train of thought here. I don't think Brian Burns is – I don't think there's too many guys on this roster that are, oh, hands-off, untradeable if it was two first-rounders. So I'll start with that. I mean, that's a lot. That's a heavy haul. You you, you don't see that every day. So I I would have to understand a little better what the context was in that and if there was any corresponding trade compensation. That's a great point you raised because I have a hard time believing – there was a team ready to barf up two first-round picks for a very good edge rusher in Brian Burns, but is he the, the best edge rusher in the league? No, he's not, and he'd probably be the first to tell you that. But there'd probably be something coming back in return with Burns, I would imagine. So that's part of the story that seems to be vague for me. Um, look, I'm I'm totally fine with them listening to offers. I, I think you have to at this point in the franchise. I mean, whether it's Burns, whether it's even DJ, I mean, listen to the offers. Listen to it. Uh, I I think Brian, to me, there have been moments where he does not finish sacks. There have been moments where you want to see more from him. But I do think, and and this is not because I'm I'm friendly with his brother Stanley, and, and you know I obviously I know Brian a little bit. I, Brian's a big boy; he's not going to worry about what I say here. Um. I think you can get more out of him. But I also think they're at a point in their franchise where you've got a really good edge rusher. You've got a leader on defense. You've got a guy that's starting to to, to become a galvanizing force on that front that they can look to and build around. And those things aren't that easy to find at, a, at an elite level. And I think we've talked with guys like Matt Bowen about Brian Burns. You and I have been talking about Burns for a couple of years now. I, I think... You know, I'll just tell you what I think. I think he's one of the best edge rushers in the league, and I think he's doing a much better job as an overall end at that position. They've asked him to do a lot. Obviously, with Phil Snow, he continues to get involved in coverage at times with Steve Wilkes. Um, I'd have to know more about what the compensation was. I mean, two first-rounders on its own? Sure. Yeah, I mean, I would consider doing that. I mean, I'd be crazy not to at least consider it, but am I okay with them? moving forward and giving Burns an extension. Yeah, I think I'm okay with that. And it's not just because I think he's a good edge rusher and, and has great lean and, and and does oftentimes draw two or three hats on the pass rush. I mean, you got to remember he's losing Reddick on the other side and you're not seeing a whole lot of corresponding rush coming from that opposite side. But uh, I, I look at the tape and I continue to be impressed by his game. He's growing. His toolbox is 
growing as a rusher and as a run defender. And I just think that's one of those guys that it would have to be that type of haul, a first-round double whammy to for me to pull the trigger. And I wouldn't do it flippantly. I would have to think about it in terms of what's coming back the other way. Is it just Burns? Is it something else? Is it a second-rounder we're trading out for those? But, yeah, I was uh, – I was also wondering, too, if it wasn't the team that floated out that <laughs> that to Schefter instead of another source. I, you never know with these things. But uh, two first-rounders seemed a little steep. So uh, he's here. I, I don't think he's going anywhere. But uh, it's definitely something interesting to monitor. Yeah, okay. Well, my perspective on this is that I agree that Burns is a very good edge rusher. I just don't think that he's at a blue – I don't think he's at the level of, like, uh, Garrett – Bosa brothers, Parsons, uh, Demarcus Lawrence, Von Miller. He's not at that level. He's like in the next tier of edge rushers, like with the Trey Hendrickson, uh, like the guy who just got traded today, Robert Quinn, uh, Bradley Chubb, who's having an excellent season. Is he in that range? Maybe. I think that's probably fair to put him in that tier of edge rushers. Uh, now, the issue for Carolina moving forward is that Burns' representatives know that you turned down two first round picks. And I yeah. believe it was Joel Corey who pointed this out on Twitter. Yep. He said that, yeah, like Burns' agents, they've just realized that, hey, this is how much they value us. So compensation wise, we deserve what is in line with what the market is saying relative to how you value us. So, you know, credit to his agents, I think also, because if they put this out there, um, you know, that benefits Brian Burns' pockets and they, his agents long-term as well on the field he certainly made a very strong impact last sunday but i think this year has been a little bit disappointing from um from what we usually expect brian burns and uh seth walder from espn analytics put out uh his pass rush win rates um you know charts or plot that he usually does every week and he posted it about a couple hours ago um, and Burns is on the lower left quadrant, so, uh, which, um, you know, his pass rush win rate hasn't been very high and he's not getting double teamed like he usually does. Uh, so it kind of suggests that, you know, he definitely is getting the sacks maybe, but his uh, he's not winning as consistently as we've seen in the past. I personally believe that the best course of action for this franchise, and we'll get into this conversation very um uh, just quickly next is I think the best move would have been to trade him if that offer existed. And again, I want to be very clear that I don't know what he just said two first round picks. I want to be, uh, you know, if there's any type of clarification or more insight into what the exact details were, I'll happily uh, change my tune. But I think two first round picks for Brian Burns would have been very good return for Carolina. I understand, and this is part of my thinking as well, because if you go in a different direction next offseason um, with a new defensive scheme, uh, a scheme that's, uh, let me just give you an example, like maybe Dallas, I don't know, like like a Dan Quinn-type defense, like Parsons and um, you know Lawrence are bigger ends. They're very good against the run. Um, now Parsons is like a unicorn, so you can't really compare him to anyone else. But to me, like Demarcus Lawrence is like a, a traditional like Dan Quinn four three type of edge. Yeah, you know he's extremely effective against the run. He has a lot of power moves in this game. He's excellent with his hands. 
if that's the direction they go, then I think probably cashing in and rebuilding your edge rushers through the draft would have been the wisest choice, wise choice to make. I know a lot of people made fun of Carolina for why they were soliciting opinions from Jay Glazer because Glazer came out the you know quote a report that said that he would trade you know other players too. Well, let me just be clear about something. Okay, this is very common in the NFL. Like teams use insiders as like a uh, like a third party essentially just to just get information from other teams and what others are view how others view their talent now the real report came that sean payton isn't going to go to carolina um because he's just he i guess he has different plans which is fine i'm totally fine with that i don't think they should be giving up any draft capital for a head coach uh period okay um but that's just kind of where that perspective comes from teams use um, you know, it's a kind of like a backdoor channel just to get more information across the league. Schefter, he's explained this on some of his podcasts in, in the past as well. But yeah, I think trading can probably would have been the best course if that two first round picks were, um, if it's real. Um, but again, we'll never know the exact details yeah. of that. So that's just kind of where I stand. No, I mean, that's you raised a, a hell of a lot of good points there. I mean, there, there's some some stuff from the analytics side that do matter and that do measure how effective you are on the whole. And there's also the film that you look at. And there's also the human element too, that, you know, you got to consider from their perspective. And I will say this, we're not done yet. I mean, the trade deadline is next week. Anything can happen. So by the next time we talk to you, maybe something will happen. Um, But I, I, I do think that for better or worse, however you, you perceive it in terms of uh, my perspective versus yours, and I, I respectfully agree with a lot of what you said, and I, I don't disagree with anything really you said. You, pre- you presented a lot of good data there and a lot of good information. Um, it's going to come down to how they perceive him as a cornerstone moving forward going into what? This is 19, 20, 21, 20. This is going to be the fifth-year option you're coming up. So you got an extension coming up. And and I think, yeah, there's some refinement of his game that's happened, and you want to see more. You want to continue to see more. You wanna you wanna see him more active in terms of pressures. And I think hopefully that'll be the story that's written down the stretch. And and that's a big decision they've got to make too. I mean, as as we've talked about with Taylor Moten and others, this stuff doesn't get cheaper. So the longer you wait on the extension, the more expensive it gets if he if he plays well. And you've raised a great point with Joel Corey's tweet. Uh however that report got out i mean it, the price tag went up because the, you know the agent's gonna be like oh yeah okay two first rounders huh? is that where we're at okay well let, let's jack up the price a little bit hopefully they don't overspend um but they've got a decision to make and he's certainly a good player um had a hell of a game sunday we got to see more of that got to see that week in and week out and and hopefully he just keeps dominating i mean that's what you want to see it all work itself out but two first rounders that caught my eye that was uh that was an interesting report And the final thing I'll say on this is that you still have the offseason potentially to make this type of trade because a 50-year option is guaranteed already. So, yeah, you lose half a year of team control, and that certainly will probably lessen the compensation. But you also have the offseason where you uh, will potentially have a new head coach and defensive coordinator coming in. Um, And if... Uh, unless you know the coaching staff remains the same which um i mean it could i'm not going to deny anything is possible yeah but at the same time i think you have to also look at again there could be a new defensive coach there could also be a new gm 
No one's job is safe as far as I'm concerned because no one has given any indication that anyone's job is safe. So there's just a lot of factors at play. Now, if it's a still you know, the same GM and a different coach and the coach says he wants to keep him, then yeah, you have to sign him to an extension at that point. I don't think you can do a, I don't think you can have him play out his final year of his fifth, you know, fifth year option. I just don't think that's good for business. Yeah, uh, They got very fortunate in that regard with Taylor Moten because Moten has been a very durable player. Um, and this isn't to say that Brian Burns isn't, but again, I just, I fear that not only will, you know, the potential of him having like a, you know, a crazy year, but there's also the potential of injury that could happen. Uh, they took that risk with Moten and it worked out for them. I just hope that they're much more proactive in their decisions, no matter who the head coach, defensive coordinator or GM is next off season. So uh, that's just where I stand with, you know, the Burns discussion at this point, mm-hmm. uh, they have to, they have to hope. It doesn't bite them in the butt. Uh, you have to be proactive. You have to make sure that the decisions you're making are for the what's best for this franchise in the long term. Okay, and and if if you feel like Brian Burns doesn't help your team, uh, just I don't think you can say that. But if you feel like Brian Burns and his extension number don't help, you know, the resource allocation for your football team, then you have to do what's right and cap the cash in. Um, yeah, but I understand why they didn't do it now, uh, but they have to make the right choice next offseason because there's not going to be any more grace period for this front office if they don't. Yeah, they got to nail it. I mean, they got to nail a lot of stuff, and this is one of them. It's a critical situation. We we've been talking about this Burns thing for a while. I mean, he he was one of these guys that you know drafted back in '19. This was eventually going to be a decision that they have to make, and uh, it will. I mean, ultimately, if Fitterer stays, and to this point, I would probably keep him here. Um, I don't know what the owner's thinking. He didn't really give him a ringing endorsement, but I'd keep I'd keep Scott here. I'd keep Dan Morgan here as long as you can with him, although Dan probably get a GM job at some point. But that's a big decision they have to make, and, and it's one of those decisions that can cost you a job if you get it wrong. If Brian walks and... You know, they give or they trade him, then he goes on to have a have a Lawrence Taylor type of career, which, you know, look, I don't know if that'll happen, but he's definitely got the potential to be one of the best to ever do it. Um, that that's one indicator that you probably made the wrong move, but you also gotta factor in if you do pay him the the top line dollar they're gonna have to pay him now. I mean, that's undeniable. Um, and it doesn't translate to the Julius Peppers type of impact you've had here. Um, in the past, then then they can cost you a job, and that's the nature of the business. So they got a lot of those decisions to make in the coming months. And it just like for a point of like reference, I remember when a lot of people like you know, this was a while ago raised their eyes when Charles Johnson got that huge extension. Um, I think the difference, in my opinion, is that Johnson he fit like a T within Ron Rivera's scheme. Yeah, and yeah. a guy like him, you know, he might not be like the uh, like the lightest guy as far as just his impact from a, um, you know, athleticism point of view, like he's not going to be able to bend the corner, like, you know, some of the best edge rushers, uh, but he was a very effective edge rusher within Rivera's scheme. And I think that their decision was validated because he definitely put up big numbers um, and he was a huge, you know, member of those Carolina defenses under, um, you know, Rivera and McDermott. Yep. So again, it's going to be very curious how they 
um, what their defense will look like. Because again, I like Brian Burns, but I don't think he is as scheme versatile as some of the other complete edge rushers in the league. And that's no knock on him. Again, I think he's very good, but um, you you don't want to pigeonhole him into a scheme that doesn't reflect his true talent. Um, yeah. And that's, I think that's a probably a good stopping point with the Burns discussion, but um, let's transition here as we close out. And again, I don't want to spend too much time on it because I know you don't like discussing it, but you know, after the game, there was, you know, a, a camp of individuals who, you know, f- just feel that, that this team should have gone on a different, you know, the result, they were hoping for a different result because, um, you know, they were hoping to eventually be able to draft a franchise quarterback. Yep. I, I totally subscribe to their, um, frustrations because I cannot for the life of me understand what this franchise has been doing at the quarterback position since 2020. So I understand why they're upset. I also understand that when this team had the first overall pick, they drafted Cam Newton. And since they've been looking for quarterbacks, they got extremely lucky like no other team besides maybe the 2001 Patriots with Jake DeLome and how they were able to find him as, you know, a journeyman who was, uh, you know, signed for a veteran minimum deal. Let me just be clear. I'm rooting for PJ Walker, but I think that I, again, I don't know if Walker is going to show that type of consistency week to week. And, and look, I, I totally get their frustrations because I want a franchise quarterback just as much as anyone I am not going to go as far as to totally cheer for losses, but I won't be upset when they do lose because again, I know where that can potentially take you. But what I also know is that I've been watching college football. I don't think any of these top guys are, you know, a true fire first round pick like, or excuse me, top five pick. Yeah. I, I don't see that out of any of them. Maybe they can be, I wasn't very high on Justin Herbert, uh, but Marty Herney supposedly was, and there was a you know report and column from Dan, or excuse me, Jeremy Fowler today that said Marty Herney really wanted to take Herbert number seven overall, but oh, so um, close. <laughs> yeah, Man. so in San Diego, or excuse me, Los Angeles took him a few spots before. Yeah. So let me just be clear. This is just my thoughts, and I know you have um, your own perspective. I totally understand the frustrations. This team needs a franchise quarterback. We cannot continue to keep doing this charade and whether it's freaking like Bailey Zappi or Mac Jones or um, whoever the next quarterback is that is looking to move on. Jameis wants, I don't know whoever that next quarterback is that fits the same situation as a Darnold or Baker. I don't want that. I don't want any part of that in the future. I want to fr- like a guy you take in the first round and you develop him. I don't think Matt Corral is that guy with all due respect to him. I think there's going to have to come in the draft. And as far as I know, Carolina is still looking at it. I mean, I'm looking at the draft rankings right now. They're number three overall. So I think everyone just needs to just calm down. Let's see how this thing goes. But I will say this. We mentioned how important team culture and winning is. The last time I remember the fans getting this upset, John, was after that win in Washington in 2020. Yeah. I, I mean, people were ready to burn yeah. things down because they were pissed that they won that pointless game. And, you know, they went from the third or fourth pick overall all the way down to, um, you know, the seventh. So, again, I get it. I'm 
you know, my perspective is I'm with them. I'm just not going to necessarily cheer for losses. I won't be upset if they lose either. I know you have a different perspective, and I'll cede to you. Yeah, not too far off, though. I mean, I don't want to be the meathead here. I mean, I kind of pigeonhole myself into that mix. But uh, you you get around enough of these guys, and you, you talk to enough people that have been around the league, and it's just not – tanking happens – the way Miami did it by virtually deconstructing your roster and putting yourself in a position to be aligned, uh, the stars aligning for you in the draft organically. You, th- this team to me is not bad enough, and they're bad enough at quarterback. And that's no knock on PJ, but you know what I get. You just to your point, long term, the, the the answer to the future is not on the roster right now. I don't think. I haven't seen enough from Corral to make an assessment on that. I don't. I wouldn't put my eggs in that basket. I wouldn't count on it, and that's no knock on him. But that's where he was drafted. You look at the history of draft picks in that round at quarterback. It's not great. So I'm just basing it on on history. Where they're at right now is interesting. Like they they have finally put together an offensive line that it, while they might not be 2008 good from Carolina's perspective or 2003 good or you know 2015 good. I mean there is a damn good unit they've got out there now. So they figured that out. I mean, they've got a unit they can work forward towards. And to your point about the quarterbacks in the draft, I mean, I'm like you, and I cover college football for iHeartRadio. I mean, I do it every weekend for the Clemson side. And, you know, you look at the top names that are mentioned, Stroud, Young, and and Levis. And I'm not there with any of those guys as being, okay, it's a lock. And look, I know Trevor hasn't been perfect this year, but Trevor Lawrence to me was that guy. At number one overall, a guy you can look at and say, all right, all the tools, maybe needs to work on his frame a little bit, but that's somebody who has the vibes and, and, and the, the physical tools and the film that you look at and say, all right, that, that's a cornerstone quarterback. I Even think Burrow these... and Kyler, too. Huh? What's that? I was going to say Burrow and Kyler also. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's a tough dynamic because I know fans, I mean, I've, I stated my opinion on it. Look, I'm not interested in talking about the draft until draft season. Obviously, that's a little bit of hyperbole. you got to look forward to it. you got to kind of assess, you know, as an analyst, what might be. Either way, I think they'll come out okay because, look, if, if they do put together, and I use history as my guide here, you know, like a 2004 type of season where they were in a – playoff race that was very gettable all of a sudden and they started one in seven by the way and they were just injuries everywhere um but they still had moose and they still had jake and they didn't have a lot of running backs but the defense was missing a few big pieces and they rallied and i i know they didn't need a franchise quarterback at the time because jake had you know just proven that he could be that guy at least for the next five six years so obviously the need for a quarterback does amplify this billy it, it's undoubt undeniable and and you know newton that there was a perfect example of a season where if you look back at the 2010 panthers that there were a lot of good players on that team jordan gross you know ryan khalil steve smith um charles johnson hardy was on that team um i think beeson was on that team now some of these guys got hurt but you know, it's not like they were just in a wasteland. They just didn't have a quarterback. And obviously there was a lot going on with that team that was, you know, 
not great, but John Fox, lame duck year and all that. I'm not going to blame fans at all. Like, like one of our mantras on this show has always been, we're not going to tell people how to be a fan. And I'm not going to do that here. If you, if you want to actively cheer for a loss, please, by all means, do it. I get it. I get the thinking. Um, now, am I going to compare what happened on Sunday to what happened in Washington in 2020? I can't do that. I, I can't, with intellectual honesty, say that those two felt the same to me. This felt to me, and they all count the same wins and losses, but to me it felt like you've got some guys on this team that are going to be here for a while. They need to learn how to win against good, if not great, opponents. And I, I, I don't want to get too, you know, sappy here but you know Steve Wilkes had talked about during the week looking back at some film at some of the old Bucks Panthers games and kind of reinstilling some pride in that locker room and the message came across they did it so I think there's value in that there's value in the fact that you know no they don't have their quarterback for the future right now we don't think so unless PJ comes out just storming and turns into Kurt Warner but you got to look ahead to the draft you, you they have to solve this problem through the draft you're exactly right now who's the guy I and mean, that's the thing is it Will Levis? Is it Stroud? Is it Young? I mean, can can one of those guys be that guy? I don't know yet. I just don't. It, it, we've seen this in the first round. A lot of people were upset that the Panthers passed on Mac Jones. And, you know, I, I've continued to make the argument that Jones is a very good quarterback. But if you put him in Carolina's situation last year, I don't think you're, you're seeing 10 wins. <laughs> I don't. Um, the quarterback win stat can be misleading. And I think you're already seeing now he's struggling with injuries, struggling with efficiency. Um even with fields i mean he played the hell of a game at new england they passed on him too billy and now how much of that is you know coaching how much of that's on him it's a little bit of everything i think but no i get it i think you're you're right man it's it's you know fans are frustrated about where this franchise has ended up and you know i don't want to kick a guy going out the door but matt rule has a lot to do with that i mean matt rule was really big on on making a splash in terms of setting the quarterback standard his way. And and you've seen some additional reporting come out that sort of verifies not only what my gut instinct told me, but what I've heard from people around the league that know this team well, that Matt w- was all about Darnold and Matt was all about Teddy. And, and Teddy had a pretty decent year. And then obviously they move into the Baker Mayfield arena when they strike out on Watson, when Stafford doesn't go through, when uh, there were rumblings about Russell Wilson. Woo. Dodge that bullet. <laughs> I don't know, man. I, I I agree. I guess this is a roundabout way of saying I they've got to figure this quarterback thing out because this is fun winning right now. And I want them to continue to thrive. I want them to be good. It's not even the wins, Billy. I want them to show competency down the stretch. I want them to be a well-oiled machine showing competency and being competitive down the stretch. The wins will either happen or they won't. If they don't, you'll probably be in a very good position to either trade up minimal assets at that point to get to a place where you can get one of these three or four quarterbacks that people are talking about or if you do win out you might win the division and (laughs) then all chaos breaks loose because it's it's a bad division this year yeah i'm not ready to go that far i know some people who were uh, mentioning playoffs and all this other stuff Mm -hmm. um Last weekend, I, I just I want to see a few more games before I start to actually consider them to be irrelevant. That's fair. Um, you know, playoff contender. Uh, with all due respect to them, again, I, what they did on Sunday was tremendous. But you know, it, it, I again, 
there could be some uh, in, internal issues with the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers that we're not accounting for. So again, I want to see how they do against a very formidable opponent on the road this week, division game. Uh, let's see how that goes. And to your point, Matt Rule, he felt very strongly about J.C. Horn. And I think J.C. Horn is good. I know you think he's good, but I'm not even upset that they passed on fields or Mac for him. I think those were mistakes. Don't get me wrong. I would have rather had a quarterback, but he also passed on Patrick Sertan, Micah Parsons, and the guy who supposedly has short arms in Rashawn Slater. Yeah. Those are three, in my opinion, those are, I know two of those guys for a fact will be hall of famers, Sertan and Parsons. Yeah. I, I mean, Slater, he had a tremendous rookie year. He had a good season until he got injured. Uh, he was certainly a guy that I think is a blue chip talent. If you're going to pass on two future Hall of Famers and you know Sertan and Parsons, you better hope you got the J.C. Horn thing correct. And I know for a fact, John, that they had a lot of interest in Parsons. Uh, I know that yeah. I saw you know, there were a few coaches at uh, Micah's Pro Day at Penn State, and maybe he wouldn't have succeeded in this offense or excuse me, defense, like he is in Dallas. But yeah. to me, he's a true unicorn. He can do everything well. So I'm more upset about that than necessarily <laughs> the quarterbacks. I will agree, yeah. though, that if they had traded, or excuse me, drafted one of those two quarterbacks, um, I wouldn't have criticized them as much. But again, let me just be clear. I like J.C. Horn a lot. I think he's going to be good. But right now, the biggest issue for Horn is durability. He's missing a little bit too many games for my liking. Yep. Uh, I think he has all the talent in the world. and But, you know, as they say, availability uh, matters. And I think he has to really um, get on the field for us to trust him. Final point I'll make on the drafted, draftable QBs. Um, again, we're going to – we'll focus on draft analysis all throughout the offseason. I don't want to start that here, okay? The only thing – the final thing I'll say is this, though. With all due respect to whether it's Stroud, Young, Levis, Hooker, whoever, I'm not going to get into each of those skill sets uh, right now. If you recall about a year ago, um, excuse me, at this time in 2010, you know, a lot of people didn't really have Cam Newton on their radar. He kind of just um, organically like popped up after he started winning a lot of games and Auburn became relevant yeah. on the national scale. It was very, it was Jake Locker very, and Blaine Gabbert. <laughs> Yeah, it, it was very similar to the Joe Burrow um, kind of rise because a lot of people remember Burrow, he didn't really have much fanfare. He was like a fourth or fifth round pick going into the year. But you know, once he started putting up crazy numbers and he was leading LSU to all these wins, he became you know the definitive favorite for the number one pick. And uh, to me, I go back to 2010. And around this time, you know, Auburn, who was number five team in the country, they played their rivals LSU. And... You know, that was an LSU defense had Patrick Peterson, Honey Badger, a lot of other talented players. And, you know, Auburn and Cam Newton won that game. And so we saw at that point a level um, risen from, you know, Cam Newton, where a lot of people were talking about him as a potential, you know, top five, top three pick. I'm not seeing that right now from the other guys. You know, for me, Bryce Young, he's just his stature scares me. I don't think that's, you know, he's not as athletic as Kyler, so he can't necessarily, you know, make you know defenders miss or he can't necessarily use his legs to benefit him and i also don't think he has a stronger arm than kyler either yeah i think he's a talented player and i'll get into a full analysis of what i think it where i sh- would draft him in the future but that's just kind of how i compare him and kyler murray um levis he's 24 years old the same thing with hooker he's 25 yeah it's too old 
I don't think that's you want to have some type of upside with these guys. And I don't think that's necessarily the best course. So I, I will say Levis, he probably has the most intrigue just because he plays like in a NFL style offense. So yeah, I'll be monitoring how he does. He plays Tennessee this week. Hooker, I don't think he has an NFL arm. And I think that offense um, under Josh Heupel, Drew Locke threw for 40 touchdowns under Josh Heupel at yep. Mizzou. Yep. So I think that offense helps him. And to me, C.J. Stroud, again, very talented quarterback. Is he a better prospect than Justin Fields? I mean, they're about even. I mean, I think he probably has a little more physical skills. They feel like the same guy in a lot of ways. Their build, their frame, their their traits. And a lot of people, every draft season, everyone always mentioned how Ryan Day's offense benefits quarterbacks. They did it with Dwayne Haskins. They did it with Justin Fields. I I know they're going to do the same thing with Stroud. Yeah. So, yeah, the point that I'm trying to make here is I don't necessarily see any of these guys – as being like a surefire number one overall pick, like we've seen from the likes of Joe Burrow, uh, Cam Newton, Andrew Luck, you know, and so on and so on. Yeah. Yeah. And look, so, here, here's the thing, too. Let's just keep in mind, Billy, that uh, the, the annoying thing for me is, and I'm not going to tell people how to fan. Some of this is coming from people that that cover the NFL, too, or, they, they, or, or talking heads on sports talk or whatever it might be you got to look at the stuff with a little bit of nuance and understand that you got to understand what you're tanking for okay if, if tanking is what you want to do and it doesn't exist in the nfl at least in terms of the way the culture is in the locker room but i get what people are saying please stop winning so we could be in the top three because oh boy during draft season we want to get a quarterback well okay then you got to ask yourself this question which quarterback and why and what do you like about him and what are the traits you see that are convertible to the NFL? And what are the traits that you don't like? And that's where really good draft analysts out there, like like our friend Jordan Reed and others, I, I, I and you, you do a great job on this. I, I turn to you guys more than myself because you're really early on this stuff, and I, I tend to get more into it, you know, around February uh, during the combine and all that. But no, I think look at the current roster as a as a precursor and a and a sort of a cautionary tale sitting on the bench right now injured and without a lot of production here so far are two top three drafted quarterbacks <laughs> i mean they're on the yeah. damn roster so that i get you and your chances go way up when you have a top 10 top five pick at getting the franchise quarterback i get it. i mean we see herbert doing what he's doing allen was a late pick they should have gone earlier there uh, i think steve wilkes wanted allen he said he did at least and uh, that could have changed his whole trajectory of his career um but then for every one of those, you get a Josh Rosen, you get, you know, a Sam Darnold, you get guys that go high. I go back to 2004 again, one more time. And again, I, this is, you know, Uncle John here, pull up a rocking chair and have a little Uncle John talk with me going back almost 20 years now. And again, Carolina did not need a franchise quarterback. That's not the point I'm making here, but they were one in seven at one point. They ended up. I remember people wanting a quarterback, though. Well, they did. Some did. They ran. That, the, that, yeah. they, they nearly ran the table. They were a blocked field goal away from one of the most remarkable turnarounds in NFL history, getting into a playoffs after a one and seven start, if not for a blocked field goal against the Saints at the end of the season. Bill Rosinski's last game, by the way, doing play by play. What happened in that next draft? Who was the first first quarterback taken in two thousand five? I think it was Alex Smith, right? It was the Alex Smith thing, but I know a lot of people, you know, Rodgers was in that draft too. And he slid, and he slid, he slid past Carolina. <laughs> and who did Carolina draft? Thomas Davis. So I just would say, look, the draft is very fluid. The draft process is very fluid. I don't know right now how to size up these quarterbacks for you out there. I, I don't. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know if Stroud will be great at the next level. I think a lot of it's situation too. 
And that's going to go hand-in-hand, Billy, with what they do next in terms of head coach. I love Steve Wilkes. I still have doubts as to whether or not they're going to stick with him, even if he pulls off a Rich Passaccia here. And they can do it. I I, I don't want to say playoffs right now, but I I can see a path for them where with that defense, with that offensive line, with playing the way P.J. played against a very good defense last week, they could string together some wins, and in that division they could get get a division title. They're a game back. They can tie the division this week. I get it. That That's nauseating for a lot of people. But that's the reality where they are. Now, if they go in a different direction, they hire maybe Ken Dorsey, then that ultimately, you know, a guy like that, or, or Shane Steichen, or any of these offensive Waldron, these offensive minds that can groom and develop a quarterback, uh, I think a little better maybe than the current OC and the current QB coach. No knock on them, but this is where they are. Um, I think that changes the dynamic, and I think you you get the best quarterback you can at that point. But yeah, it'll it'll be interesting, Billy. It's it's going to be a fascinating few weeks, if for no other reason that number one, they're they're still tangling in the NFC South in a very bad division right now, and one of those teams has to win it. They're two and zero in the division. They can be three and zero after this game coming up, and then once we get into December. Um, I'm sure fans will be really rational and all the takes will be really good on Twitter about if they if they beat Detroit or Pittsburgh late in the year, what, what the noise will be there. But hopefully they just they keep playing good ball. That's all I can say. Yeah, and again, let's just keep everything in perspective. At this point, the draft for tomorrow, they would have the third overall pick. Uh, going by football outsiders, their percentages, Carolina has the highest percent chance of getting the first overall pick. Yep. Um, it was even higher last week, but this week, even despite the win, it's at 22.1%. And for a top five pick, they have Carolina at 64.5%. Yeah. Again, I agree with you, John. I'm not convinced on any of these top quarterbacks, so maybe it's probably a good thing that they choose you know, the best of the rest instead of you know, forcing – uh, to make the decision on who to draft, you know, at the top. Yeah. And my final point, as we close out here, situation matters. You said it perfectly. Geno Smith in Seattle, perfect situation for him. They've developed an offense that's playing to his strengths as a quarterback. Yep. He's been in that system for over a year, so he can execute it very well. The same thing with their opponent this upcoming week. I know they had a tough loss last week against the Bengals, but Marcus Mariota and Arthur Smith, two situa- a situation where the offense is catered around the skill set of the quarterback. That's sort of what they have to envision in the future. And let's just be clear, both of those quarterbacks didn't necessarily cost a lot of money. I'm not saying you should replicate that because I don't think it's possible, but just something to keep in mind as we you know, head towards um, you know, the offseason and the team looking for potentially a new quarterback in the future. But we'll see. A big game this week. We'll see how they do. Carolina is currently a six-and-a-half-point underdog. Um it's going to be a tough one. Atlanta's always, you yeah. know, they had a tough loss last week, uh, but they've been impressive. And this is a big game for them too at home. Yeah, it's it's big for Atlanta. It's big for Carolina. I mean, you you from the outside, we're we're talking about a lot of factors here, but they, these all all these teams are living in the moment. Tampa's trying to find out on their end who they are. They got a short week. Um, New Orleans is trying to figure things out with Andy Dalton reportedly starting again this week for them. Um, that's interesting. And Atlanta is a team that, you know, look, the, the, it's it's getting done the right way. Even though they lost to Cincinnati, they find themselves still um, in a much better position now than they were in this time last year in terms of their trajectory with the cap, in terms of the young talent they brought in. They, they still have some injuries. You look ahead of this game, A.J. Terrell's dealing with the hamstring injury from the Cincinnati game. 
Um, he was out of Wednesday's practice. Um, Clemson guy. Clemson, very good Clemson guy. Oh, one of the best. Um, <laughs> and, you know, they're, they're getting like guys like D. Alford back, but Casey Hayward, their other very good corner, is out for the season. Or he's on IR. I don't know if it's the whole season, but I know he's not, um, not going to play this game. So that defense, you know, you can get after him a little bit. I know Dean Pease does a good job of scheming things up, but much like their their win last year in Atlanta, I mean, I think you, you might see a similar type of blueprint, although I think you can start to attack these corners a little bit because they're going to have a lot of guys in and out. Um, and on defense, really, look, you're facing a team that they make no bones about it, Billy, that's, that you, you might see uh, – this could be one of those games where you see about 25 passes attempt by both teams combined because <laughs> they love to – sort of take the air out of the ball and I, I think Atlanta does it with a bit of creativity with some concepts that make sense and like I told you last week Atlanta remains one of the most efficient passing teams in the league in terms of getting the most out of each passing attempt um, they've got two big weapons there uh, you've got to defend uh, on the seam and on the perimeter and that's going to be a challenge for a secondary here that's banged up it's a big test and I, I think you know that's that's where I operate from I don't you know Again, I I can't live in a realm where I'm thinking, oh, shit, if they lose, great. They're one step closer to the number one overall pick. And if they win, uh, damn, they're one step further away from the number one overall pick. I I don't do it that way. I can't. It's not because I'm a homer. It's because I just want to evaluate this thing one week at a time. And it's a big week for Carolina. I mean, like you said, this will determine, you know, a little bit of kind of what we saw last week. Was it? It wasn't a fluke. We know that it was a dominating performance. But is there a correlation? Is there a carryover? Is there something building here with this team that you can look forward to in terms of, okay, now you got one division win under your belt with New Orleans, and then you got a second one. Can they go 3-0 and in the division? That's pretty cool if they can. And they've historically played well down there since Matt Rule had arrived. So uh, keep that rolling. Get a win. I'd say go for it. Yeah, and uh, glad we had this conversation that just kind of keeps our perspective. We'll focus more on game analysis uh, moving forward and uh, what the team is doing on the field. But again, with the trade deadline next week, uh, we'll keep you guys updated if there are any more uh, transactions um, for this team. Uh, But uh, that's it for tonight. I want to thank you again for joining, and uh, we'll talk to you guys next time.